I'll be reading the scripture today. It's from Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Gospel of Luke. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That phrase alone is so important as we seek to understand this gospel better. Luke is carefully establishing credibility to lead into this historical account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We can trust the accounts in Luke. Luke did his homework, and we know that God loves you and seeks to save you. Last week, we highlighted the silence of heaven finally, finally breaking. I promise you, no charades today or any uh, ninja kicks. It's, a, it's just a one-time thing. I apologize for that. But Zechariah encounters Gabriel, and the silence is broken after 400 years. John's birth was the first of two miraculous births that broke the silence of heaven. We're going to be in Luke 1, starting in verse 26 in a moment. You can turn there and be ready. It'll also be on the screen for you. I've entitled today's message, David, Jesus, and God's Redemptive Plan. I want you to consider for a moment how excited we are at the birth of a new baby. Even for families and mothers who are in difficult circumstances, there's a time of rejoicing with a child. There's something new. There's something hopeful. There's... Uh, this, there's something promising about a birth. A, a couple can look at a child and say, we've created this new life in our genetics, our DNA flowing through the veins of this child, our likeness, our physical features. Childbirth is interesting because it connects us to the past and the future as well, and it has done so for generations. How much more the birth of the Messiah the blessings of an ancient promise being fulfilled in God's perfect timing. His love for us expressed in the most human of ways, childbirth. Yet it's so much more than that, isn't it? Today we look at the second miraculous birth. Christ's miraculous birth further breaks heaven's silence and sets the stage for his future ministry and even ties Jesus to the messianic promises of the Old Testament. You and I are most likely familiar with the story, but let's take special note today even of some of the responses of those involved. 
Please understand that it is no coincidence that Luke makes a point of outlining both of these narratives. Luke understood how essential these were to the gospel message and to the fulfillment of prophecy so that we might have certainty, so that we can know. Look with me now at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. And the angel departed from her. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you praise and we give you adoration. We say, holy is your name. And Lord, one of the reasons we do that is as we look at your word, and, and, and from our point in history, we can see that you kept your word regarding the Messiah. Father, you are God and there is no other. Father, as we look at this text, it's familiar to us in so many ways. Would you just give us a personally responsive heart? May we take this in and even consider this afresh. And Lord, would you do what you would desire to do in our hearts and lives through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I already know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, listen, Pastor, it's not December this is only September. It's still warm out. You can't be going into a Christmas message here. And the simple fact is we decided that if we celebrate Christmas early, we can actually beat the department stores. So that's what Parkview is all about now. We just want to be out ahead of the park department stores. No, I, it's incredibly important to grasp this. And I know it's familiar to us from the Christmas time, but I really think it's important for us to look at it without the lens of Christmas and just look at what's here. Uh, from a perspective of a preacher, sometimes these messages are tough because they're familiar texts to us. But I want you to experience joy as you consider these words today. While many of us know the story well, let's take a time to, to, some time to consider how much is really going on here. It starts out in the sixth month, and this is tied to Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy with John. The sixth month comes out again in that text we read. And, and Luke names Gabriel yet again. 
This is key to the significance of, of both of the encounters. What a great mission for Gabriel. I want you to think about that. Is it not fun to bring good news to people? If you have good news, we often can't wait to bring it to the people we care about. And here's Gabriel. He's coming with his news. But I want you to understand that for Gabriel, there's uncertainty in it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we have this amazing phrase after some, some talk about grace. It says, things into which angels long to look. It tells us that, that angels don't, un, don't understand all of this. So for, for Gabriel, imagine it. He's, been, he's on a mission now to fulfill prophecies that he, ha, he himself had been curious about for centuries. He knew about the prophecies, right? He knew about the things that were behind and, and now he has this incredible mission to go and make these deliveries of prophecy. And perhaps while doing it, he's thinking, what is my glorious master up to? Really? First, I, I'm telling a man his, his elderly wife is going to have a child and, and now I'm telling a, a betrothed virgin that she's going to have a child? had to be incredibly fun for him. Contextual clarity is so important, right? In Jewish culture, there were, there, there were steps in the marriage process. First, you have to have the marital arrangement. You have to decide who, it's be, who it would be. So you've paid eHarmony for their work. eHarmony has, has connected the two of you. You now are going to be husband and wife. It's not how it worked, obviously. Uh, often, uh, the mate would be at the suggestion of a parent. As a parent, I'm thinking I want to bring back arranged marriages. But anyway, not terribly popular with my kids. I think I could choose well for them. Anyway, families would come to an agreement. The groom or the groom's family would often then give a dowry or a bride price, if you will, to the bride's family. There would be a formal agreement, a covenant would be reached. And often that covenant would be sealed by both parties drinking from the same cup. It's sort of like saying, yes, we're both into this, which I believe adds to the communion that we will share in a few minutes where Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's, yes, we are in this together. It's symbolic of that covenant relationship. Then we go to betrothal time, as long as a few months, and they're essentially married at this point, but they do not come together. The groom is preparing a room or a place to live. Often that would be on his family's residence. He would add on to that. And the time would also serve to confirm that the bride is not pregnant. To make sure. And if she were, she'd be declared an adulterer. And, and the Old Testament would say publicly stoned, but this was not practiced anymore. But a groom would then choose to settle the matter privately or take the dowry back or a woman would be shamed. We know from the story that Joseph did not do that. Then there'd be the ceremony and celebration. These would be long celebrations. And if you remember, John records Jesus turning water to wine at the wedding of Cana. Now remember... Luke sets out to compile a narrative so that we could have certainty. And he did this by speaking with eyewitnesses. And maybe Mary, or Mary was one of those. 
Imagine, years after the cross and the resurrection and even the ascension, Luke comes and says, Mary, I got I to gotta hear this story because I, I want to put this down. I got a friend, Theophilus, and, and others who need to hear this, and I, I want the details. And imagine sitting with Mary as she reflects on all that happens. Luke's sitting there just taking it in, savoring the words that Mary shares. And Mary, at some point, exclaims, Gabriel told me that nothing was impossible with God. And Luke, I was a pregnant virgin. Remember, Luke declares her to be a virgin, and it's very important. I love what Charles Swindoll writes. He says, the ancient Greeks prized virginity and used the term literally. For instance, Artemis, the goddess of Ephesus, was categorically and zealously virginal. Greeks and Romans looked to Artemis to protect chaste young men and women. Moreover, she symbolized the cultic power of virginity. Luke makes sure that we know that this was literally true of Mary. This was a big deal. Nothing shall be impossible with God. J.B. Phillips writes, We Christians believe in a God who is big enough to deal with our most pressing problems. He's big enough to deal with our most pressing national problems and problems of the world. Our creator and redeemer is God of the impossible. And I would suggest to you that there was no problem convincing Mary and Elizabeth of that truth. Look also in verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Only a powerful God could weave all of this together. It's significant that Joseph was of the house of David. Consider now what Gabriel had said. Behold, you will conceive and in your womb bear a son and his name shall be called Jesus. He will be great and called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He's to be called Jesus. He is the son of the most high God, the rightful heir to the throne. And what throne is he going to give to him? He's going to give to him the throne of his father, David. This meant everything to the Jewish mind. You're going to reign over the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, forever. And of this kingdom, there will be no end. Luke knows that this is very significant. It, it all connects. The, it's connecting the words of the Old Testament to, to what's happening now in the New Testament time. It's putting it all together. About three years ago, I received a call from a couple elders of a church and they were very distraught over the, the message their pastor had just preached. They told me about it, and I got online and listened to it. And, and, and it was sad because he said, listen, if you struggle to believe the Bible, I would encourage you just, just to forget the Old Testament exists. Just look at the New Testament. Focus on the New Testament. I realize there's some crazy stories in the Old Testament. Don't worry about that. Just focus on the New Testament. And he went on to devalue the Word of God, the Old Testament. Folks, the Old Testament is the foundation on which the New Testament is built. If you don't understand the Old Testament, the New Testament has all kinds of confusing things about it. Yes, there's hard things to understand, but they go together. It's important. 
So why does Gabriel share this? Why is it part of the announcement? And what would it have meant to Mary? 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to turn there in a minute, that's going to help. In, in that time, David had become the king of Israel. And he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant on a cart to Jerusalem. And if you remember the story, the oxen stumble and the Ark starts to slide off the cart. And Uzzah, being a, a, just a good man here, reaches out his hand to stabilize the Ark so it wouldn't fall. And he dies on the spot. David struggles with this and he says, I don't want to bring it. The... the, the Ark of the Covenant ends up in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the house of Obed-Edom is just blessed. And David finally goes and he retrieves the, the ark. And as it's coming into the city, remember he dances before the Lord. He's celebrating. And his wife Micah, who was the daughter of, of King Saul, is going, you're a moron. You're making a fool of yourself. Remember that whole dialogue? But then David approaches Nathan and he says, I, I want to build a house, a permanent structure. No more tent in which God would dwell. And Nathan's first response was, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, do it. But that night, God speaks to Nathan. Look at verse 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be the prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of earth. And I will point a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God answers David's desire to build him a house by saying, no, David, I will build you a house. God had called David from humble beginnings from this young shepherd boy to be the shepherd of God's nation. And now God is saying, David, I will grant to you a lasting dynasty of kings. So when we look here in Luke and, and this angelic announcement comes to Mary and references the Davidic covenant, this is incredibly significant of this, the covenant of the house and throne and kingdom forever. David acknowledges that the promises were just not for just his son Solomon, but for a future king who would rule forever. Look at verse 29 of chapter 7. Therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessings shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. David gets it. Forever. 
You and I understand that dynasties rise and fall. But not yours, David. It's not falling. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13 and verse 14. And he said to them, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Megan read it earlier, Isaiah 9, that wonderful part where it just says, on the throne of David and over his king to establish it and to uphold it. Davidic connections here. Gabriel is declaring to Mary, this child you carry is to be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. God is keeping his promises to David through your son. Like Zechariah did, Mary presents a question. How how shall this be since I'm a virgin? Gabriel explains to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is not physical. This Holy Spirit upon her. But look at Mary's amazing, beautiful response. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think it's worth looking back to last week and comparing and contrasting Gabriel's conversations here. His conversation with Zechariah and his conversation with Mary. Very different but profoundly important. First of all, they both encounter Gabriel. One of them who encounters him is an esteemed Jewish priest. The other, a young teen girl from an insignificant village. Zechariah gets no fancy greeting and he's gripped with fear. Mary heard, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And says she was troubled. Zechariah is questioning. He's asking for a sign. How will I know this? Not so with Mary. She asks a clarifying question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? And then expresses trusting submission. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. Zechariah, a mature priest, a longtime believer, an example setter, serving in the temple in Jerusalem. And Mary, a young teen girl from a humble village. One responds in doubt. The other in humble, submissive faith. We looked at it briefly last week, and we'll look at it briefly again today. Look at Mary's visit to Elizabeth in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It almost seems like we see a prenatal response here from John. Mary walks in the door, and it's as though John knows John seems to be declaring from his mother's womb, he is the one, that's him. Now, you and I want to stop and go, wait a minute. You know, come on. He he moved in her womb. I remember from last week, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is before Pentecost, so it's very significant, very rare. And, And what is the result of the Spirit's presence? Immediately upon arriving in Mary's 
upon Mary's arrival, she declares Mary to be blessed among women. And she's overwhelmed with the honor of being in Mary's presence. According to what Luke's saying here, Mary just walks in. And Luke doesn't give an account of Mary having shared their stories or them dialoguing about that. And what about the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb? Should we be questioning that as being significant? Look at Elizabeth's reaction to John's reaction. I think she would know how John normally behaves in the womb. Remember, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember that Zechariah was told by Gabriel that John would be filled with the Spirit of God from the womb. Elizabeth knows that the Messiah is in the house. And I would suggest to you that baby John knows too. Amazing. Amazing. And Elizabeth's humble response, how am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord would come to me? What beautiful humility. Beautiful. Why do I get this added blessing, Lord? I hope you have those times in life where you just stop and recognize how blessed you are and you just say, Lord, I don't know why. Why do I get this added blessing? Remember, she was already blessed personally. Remember, the announcement to Zechariah was both personal and national. It was significant to her and Zechariah because this was a big deal. She would be a mother in her old age. And not only that, a mother of, of according to Jesus, the greatest one born to women. She feels incredibly blessed. And now she's going, how do I get this added blessing? I think that Luke's gospel points out all kinds of reversals of fortune. And that's really what the gospel is. She's honored and joyful. And she declares a blessing. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth knows this because the Spirit revealed it to her. Now, I want you to just take a moment with me, okay? I want you to get your, your childhood minds going. If you're a kid in here, you've got an advantage, okay? And I want you to imagine the holy moment between Mary and Elizabeth, or holy moments. Remember, she was there for months. Imagine their time together. They both know that God is using them and will use their babies to fulfill the Old, Te Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah. To fulfill the covenant. And after generations of silence, all this waiting, the wait is over now. Consider how fun it was for them to talk about this together. And how fun it was to, to just laugh and even cry about it together. Can you imagine Mary expressing, Elizabeth, I'm a pregnant virgin. And laughing about it. And her going, look at me, I'm an old woman. And I'm pregnant. Imagining together what their sons will do and how God is going to use them. Amazing and beautiful. Only a God of the impossible could do it. Note the response of Mary. 
In verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoke, he, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Mary's song there is filled with Old Testament references. We've got 2 Samuel in there. We've got at least 12 references to the Psalms in there. We've got reference to Genesis, to Isaiah, to Micah. And you've got to wonder, had she just filled her mind with these words over the years and it was just out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks? Or was it the Spirit of God speaking through her? Uh, did, she, did she put it together and recite it as she was traveling to see Elizabeth? Was this just a song of her heart that she just sang and sang? She's filled with these Old Testament references because she's aware that the child that she would carry would be the fulfillment of God's promise to David and even back to Abraham. Beautiful. I'm not going to put these words on the screen. I want to just read them to you. I know they're familiar, but I want you to just savor them as I read them to you from Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from a town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and had been told to them. The birth of Jesus. God keeping his word. Fulfilling the prophetic 
words of the Old Testament, even about Bethlehem. And and note that he goes and, and has the angels deliver the message to shepherds, the lowly ones of society. Again, Luke's pointing out that there's a reversal here. Something is changing. That these lowly shepherds get to be the ones to go and to be witness to this. This wonder and amazement recurs as a theme throughout Luke. Throughout the proclamation of the Messiah. Christ's miraculous birth further breaks heaven's silence and sets the stage for his future ministry and ties this Jesus to the messianic promises of the Old Testament. All these responses are testimonies of history to the unique and miraculous events surrounding the Messiah and his birth. Before I pray, can I ask you just to make this personal for a minute? How do you respond to the good news of the Messiah? Does this bring joy to your heart as you think about it? What does it mean to you? If you're here and you're, you're not sure you believe in this Jesus and you're not sure about that, I would encourage you to say, God, help my, help my unbelief. And I would challenge you to stay through this study of Luke as, as Luke presents it in such a way that you could have certainty. If you're here and you're a believer, I, I ask you, do you still delight in the account? Does it mean everything to you? Because it should, because it is a story of your redemption being purchased. Because this Jesus would go to the cross without sin and he would die there and his blood would be poured out on your behalf, paying the price for you, purchasing your salvation, redeeming you from your sin and condemnation. He would go to the grave and rise again in victory, inviting you to be a child of God by faith. This, believers, should mean everything to you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just pause and we give you thanks and praise. You're so good. We just love you. Lord, in our mind's eye, we do our best to imagine what some of these things were like for these people who experienced them and were there. But Lord, we understand that what matters is that you are a God who keeps his promises. You are a God who is a redeemer, who has a plan to reverse the way things are, to take us out of being lost and in darkness without hope and bring us into your presence, no longer lost and into your light and filling us with hope because you sent a redeemer and his name is Jesus. That's in his name we pray.